Hello, reader. I'm Alex. And I'm Kelly. And this is the Lit Joy Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our Valeris Bookshelf Alley. This is from A Court of Thorns and Roses, Akatar by Sarah J. Moss. Bookshelf alleys are these really beautiful three-dimensional light boxes that we create and we made them to look like the shape of a book so they just fit like an alleyway between your books on your bookshelf they're beautiful this one in particular features Rezend and Feyre at Starfall it is one of our most popular items of all time and so we're able to work with Sarah to bring it back into stock for a pre-order event so the event is happening from January 24th to February 15th it is just Only in that window, we're collecting pre-orders before we place the order for this bookshelf alley. We wanted to make sure it was a pre-order so that as many people could get it as possible. And you can sign up to be on the wait list right now. If it is not the 24th yet of January, you can sign up for the wait list at litjoycrate.com slash Valeris. That's V-E-L-A-R-I-S. That's where our wait list is happening. It's basically just a notify me list that lets us know that you're interested and we will send you an email when sales open so that you can come and get your bookshelf alley. We also want to tell you guys about our reading journal that we have in stock right now. This is one of my favorite items that we've ever created. It is something that we try to keep in stock at all times, and it's perfect right now with the new year happening. Um, It's a great way to keep track of your reading goals. There are so many different kinds of pages in there that are interactive. Um, We've got lots of fun pages for tracking the books you've read. You know, there's book to movies. There's Lots of pages where you can keep track of uh, the books from all over the world. I'm trying to remember that pages. Yeah, there's like like, world travel pages. There's there's also like bookshelf pages where you can fill in your book titles and color them in. So it's just like a really beautiful way to interact with your reading. I love it because then you can really just keep track of your review, your star rating, your thoughts, a favorite quote, things like that as well. And these are perfect for book clubs. I actually did give these out to everyone in my book club last year. Everyone's very excited to start filling them out. So just wanted to remind everyone to go check out those reading journals. And they do come in several colors. We're super stoked today to be talking to you about a topic that is near and dear to our hearts. That's right. Today, we're going to talk about books for deep and interesting conversations, and they can be perfect for book clubs for this reason, which is something that we are very close to as I've been running a book club. Um, Yeah, my book club's called Delicious Reads because we're always craving a good book. That's a fantastic tagline. (laughs) It deserves a moment. Thank you. Yes. And it's been going for close to 18 years now. And so it, get, it gets brought up here and there on our podcast. So I was like, I'll just make the statement. I have a book club called Delicious Reads. Yep. And over the 18 years, we've read obviously a lot of books. And we decided to compile this list of books that would that have been some of our best discussions. Doesn't always mean it's our best book or our favorite book, but it has led to some of our longest, deepest, most interesting discussions. And this is going to be a three-parter Yep, because we had so many good ones to talk about. And I love it. So for this first part of the episode, we're just going to talk about the first seven books that have really made an impression on us at our book club where everyone was super engaged and had a lot to say. And I'll just make note that these are 21, they'll be 21 total for Mm -hmm. now. And I don't think it's like an exhaustive list. I just think it's like at some point you have to be like, okay, you have enough recommendations now. Do it. Start the book club. Do the thing, you know? And um. They're really great. I mean, no matter the size of your book club, these are just all really great reads that can kind of get discussions off the ground. Mm -hmm. I find that a lot of book clubs struggle with 
how they pick their books or they just pick whatever new release is recommended. Yeah. And sometimes it can kind of pitter out, like the book club can kind of like die off because the discussions are not as engaging or the books aren't as gripping. Mm -hmm. And so this is kind of just like giving you a head start if you are looking for a really good book club read. Yeah. And we've talked about starting uh, or uh, putting together an an episode about starting a book club. Oh, yeah. um, Which I think we'll get to at some point next Mm -hmm. year. Um, But even if you're not in a book club, these books that we're recommending are just wonderful books to engage with other people to discuss. You know, it's a conversation starter. Yeah. Even if the conversation is like online with online friends, it's they're great. And and several of these um, as well as we go through the list are some really like New York Times bestselling books and some maybe some you've never heard of. And I think it's a really great list. I'm excited to dive in. All right, let's do it. Let's go on or let's jump right in. The first one is Dark Matter by Blake Crouch. I will say Blake Crouch books in general, regardless of where you start with Blake Crouch, I think any of them can lend to great discussion. Oh, yeah. He's so gifted. I know. The stories he puts together are so dynamic and enthralling. I don't feel like I can ever see where the story's going. Yeah. And that's the best part, right? You are just being led along in the most delicious way because it is like this little candy trail for me um, when I'm reading Blake Crouch yes. books. And I'm just picking a, each piece of candy and I'm just like, where is it going? And I'm happy about the, the whole sure. journey. So I'm like, for readability, Blake Crouch keeps you engaged the entire time. Um, specifically with Dark Matter. So Dark Matter is a story. I'm going to grab the main character, Jason Desson. Um, He experiences this. I mean, it's a completely life changing experience where he's walking home. He lives in Chicago uh, and he's uh, essentially like kind of like abducted by or he like a a bag's put over his head or something. Yeah, he's attacked. And essentially like the attacker says something like to the effect of, are you happy with your life? Yeah. And then when he wakes up, he's no longer in his life. And um, there's like this this eerie quality to everything that Blake puts out there that he just he makes the the reader uh, question their own humanity and reality. Yes. Like and so his stuff always has a science fiction element to it. Yeah. Whether it's like uh, a multiverse or time travel or or um, yeah. So those are kind of the, the two that are standing out to me the most that have kind of woven through his books in different ways. What other books have you read of Blake Crouch? So I read Wayward Pines, which is a trilogy, but they're very short. Each book is kind of like a novella almost. And that's one that has a TV series or a movie? Yes. Okay. Yes. That one, I did not, I haven't, I didn't see things coming in any of them. So I read uh, Dark Matter, Recursion, Wayward Pines, and then I watched Good Behavior, Mm, which doesn't have science fiction, but that's freaking dark. (laughs) That's a dark series. (laughs) So I've done Recursion and Dark Matter, but you've definitely read more. So, Yeah, I'm like highly recommend all of them, but I will tell you like plan on it being your whole weekend because you won't put them down. Um, Do you remember anything specifically from Dark Matter that Book Club really talked about a lot? I mean, we interviewed Blake Crouch, so that was rad. It was really cool because this we read this book um, for my book club that was during COVID. We pick out our books a year in advance. And so we knew a whole lineup. COVID hits. We immediately just shift to going online. Yep. And, you know, every, this time everyone's bored in their homes, 
crafting, meditating. I just remember everyone was yeah, like, I was like, I did cross stitch for yeah. a day and was like, nope. I remember that. <laughs> uh, this, you know, everyone was trying to fill their time. It was what it felt like because we were all just collectively in it together. And so we were like, well, what's the risk we'd happen? Well, let's just ask Blake if he'd want to join us because he'd probably just sit at home puzzling too, you know? And he was so gracious and kind and was just like, yeah, I'd love to talk about this with you guys. And he did. He hopped into our, our online Zoom book club meeting. And yep. It was incredible and was able to talk through a lot of the plot points with us. And I, I what I remember is just, it was the reality twisting that everyone had a hard time like getting past in the sense that, he, so the main character we talked about, Jason, you know, he wakes up and it's like, his wife isn't his wife and he never had a kid in this yes. new reality. And it is, Amal, how do you say it? Like such a mind F in yes. all of a sudden, like what would you do if you literally woke up and it's like you're in a different universe or you have a different reality happening? And it gets like so a much multiverse yeah. kind of experience. But it, yes. it's not like Ant-Man traveling through the multiverse no. for funsies. It's like there is this, uh, it's like theoretical physics. Mm-hmm. And a lot of physicists just feel like there is concrete evidence of a multiverse, right? Yeah. And because matter appears and, and disappears in in our universe. And something that's interesting about it, the, so the question he kind of asks is like, if you could see the unlimited, the infinite different possibilities for your life, what would that look like? And he created a metaphor, like a visual metaphor for that, for the character to travel through these doors yeah. into these different, and sometimes he is entering a post-apocalyptic, sometimes he's entering a life that actually he's famous, a life, you know, and, and it yeah. has kind of that um, that uh, library, midnight, uh, midnight library. library feel to it. Yeah. But instead of going into books, you're kind of going, there is a haunting quality about it. Yes. I was going to say that's the distinguishing factor for me between those two books. Yes. Similar idea, completely different vehicles about how they go yeah. about it. And with Blake Crouch, yeah, you're going to get that suspense behind it um, where you're all, something's not going to go right. Yes. You kind of have that vi- that feeling. Versus, the stakes are high. The, sacri- yeah. the sacrifice is very high in it that is. book. And each door he goes through, like, you just, you're tense. It, yes. It's like I was holding my breath, like, what's he going to fall into now? Whereas like Midnight Library, it was like this beautiful exploration is yeah. what it felt like. I mean, yeah. there was hard times too, but uh, it, so the, the quality that way is different completely, but very similar idea. And even to the very end, oh, that was heart, that was heart wrenching. Oh, oh. I, I know all of his endings, I feel like have. Are we spoiler free in this episode? Yes, yeah, spoiler, spoiler free. free. Okay. So I feel like Blake Crouch's endings um, leave you at the perfect moment for discussion. Yes. And so they really lend to like, well, now, even if I'm just having this conversation with myself, I'm asking a lot of questions. Um, I I think the biggest question I asked myself when I was reading this is just that main question he poses is like, are you happy with your life? Because you start to question, like, if I was this person and I have my existing family uh, and then it's taken away from me, um, but the other options are limitless, you start to you start to think about like, okay, what is it about my life that I love that I would fight for? Yeah. And I felt like that was a really great discussion as a book club. Some people mm-hmm. were really open about like what it made them question and mm. um what it made them deeply appreciate about their life. Yeah. It's kind of like that metaphor of if you go 
and take all of your troubles and put them like they put them into a stone and then put them on a mound of stones with other people's troubles. Mm. And then you get to pick which one you take back home to carry. Everybody just takes their own back home to carry. Yeah, It's kind of one of those things when you're reading this book. Mm-hmm. That's right. I'm like, that was a really good discussion that we had where everyone got kind of vulnerable and talked about that. If you like Blake Croucher, if you like Andy Weir, I feel like, or if you haven't read one or the other, they're similar in that they base a lot of things in reality, actual science as, you know, astrophysics, whatever it is. Like mm-hmm. they use a lot of things um, that are based in our reality. And then they throw in the touch of things that are from a like kind of blows up your mind as to yes. what could be possible. They make it human. They make it very human. They make it almost seem like the real, like the matrix is real, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, they should write a book together. Actually, did oh you? My gosh. Oh, yeah. I, I was like, Andy Weir is much more optimistic, I feel like. I agree. Than Blake Crouch. I agree. But they both do have like this humor, dark humor yeah. that runs through it. At least 50% of physicists believe that, that, uh, we are in a simulation. And I was Ooh. like, just let that like, I was like, wait, what? Simmer- How many? 50% a simulation. Yes. So I read an article. Interesting. Is it almost like the end of, you know, the men in black, that kind of simulation? Kind of. I think <laughs> it's just marbles in the universe. Yeah. I think it's more like space time. So we live in a space time continuum, yeah. but time space is like the quantum realm. And so there's a lot of physicists who are like, no, the quantum realm is if you were to define reality, which, and I'm like, this is getting into like a lot of nerdy documentaries <laughs> that I watched, but essentially the idea is like space time is just what we're experiencing, but time space might be more of like what creation, where creation really happens mm. or like the soul level or like energetics. Or, yeah. Oh, I so, think we both believe in that. I was like, I think it might be both, but I yeah. like the physicists are like, let's make everyone uncomfortable always. <laughs> <laughs> the best that's what they're good at now i know so i was like i feel like we talked we talked about dark matter but again like if we're talking this much about it just trying to explain it that's where you know like and we're trying to hold in all the spoilers that's the part that i'm finding difficult so i'm like just read it read it it's gonna be a great book and let's move on to the the second book yeah i know let's (laughs) let's do it (laughs) okay the nightingale by Kristen hannah uh just my number one recommended book in general yeah it's fantastic. So this takes place. This is Isabel and Vienne, I think. Let me look. Yeah. Vienne and Isabel are sisters uh, in France. And um, this is just it, the book begins at the very beginning of World War II. Yeah. And this is German occupied France, mm-hmm. which is a very unique perspective. Mm-hmm. I feel like compared to a lot of historical fictions I've read about World War II. Yeah. That you're getting the perspective from two French women. They're not Jewish. Uh, they do have a Jewish neighbor. Well, the end does. Yeah. And they're very different personalities, the two sisters. Yes, they definitely experience it in different ways and how they want to participate or yeah. not. Um, and Well, they have different circumstances as to yes. how that plays out. Uh, it was a really unique book about World War II. I think throughout the years of my book club, we've read like 20 different book clubs yep. or books, you know, around World War II. And this was definitely the probably one of the most poignant ones we've ever read. The most heartfelt. It was more of unique. And then I'm like, and the book thief, right? Like, I love that you and I both yeah. have our own favorite World War II for different reasons. But I loved this book. And I think you were fairly new to my book club at the time. I was. And you went all out for it. Like, you hosted this one and um, made it really beautiful. Thank and you. we had our little branches and we had to write some things on this. Yeah. So, um, it, Vienne, 
the one of the two main characters. So it's called the Nightingale because that is it's based off of a true person. So she, you know, Kristen Hanna took some liberties with the story, but essentially there was a woman who helped many downed um, ally. Mm. So American, yeah. English, Australian, uh, like fighter pilots who crashed in France. She helped them cross over um, the mountain range into Spain so that they could get to the embassy so they could either go back into the war or go home if they were injured. And there are massive mountains and it's really treacherous. And she would make this trek with them multiple times through the winter. And so, um, you know, one of the characters in the Nightingale is loosely based off of that woman. And the other character has children and she has to keep her children safe Mm -hmm. while her husband is at war fighting him. And um, she has it's her home is German occupied. There's a German captain. Yes, there's a German captain who lives in her home with her. And so it's it is such a impossible situation. Yeah. But there's so much courage. And so I think that's why I love it so much is I think it's one of the most courageous books I've ever read. Yeah, absolutely. Those women really put it all out there to help in any, they probably felt like it was a small way, right? But we're like, obviously it was such a large way that they helped. And I just think about being a mom with kids stuck with an enemy living in my house. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Like every day you have to put on your mask for your kids, right? And, and try to find peace and create that situation in the house. Um, It was an interesting relationship. There was tension there for sure. But I feel like, by the end, anyways, I, I can't get into it, but the courage, like you said, and the ability to stay resilient and to keep focus on what was important um, and to make it good for their kids as much as possible. Incredible yeah. mother. Well, and I think it's, it was, it showed a, us a couple of things that were interesting to talk about. It was interesting to talk about how courage looks different it, not all courage looks the same because I think that most people would look at courage as being the person who was smuggling soldiers out of France and putting yourself in danger in that way. But then you saw courage in the other character who is she's being courageous because she's saving her children and other children by keeping them alive. Yeah. And and what she's doing feels smaller but at the end of the book, you realize that those small, that smaller effort made a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and I think that I loved that we were able to talk about that. It also, we talked about how, like, nobody wins in war. Yeah. Which I think is just a lesson that humanity has to learn over and over again, is that there are real, no real winners when yeah. it, it's war. This, uh, just this conversation is reminding me about all the books, like I mentioned, that we've read around this topic. And I'm curious, are like, there's a few others I'd probably suggest if this topic in general is one you're interested in for you or your book club. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other ones that we've also had really good discussion around, if it's okay, is uh, Unbroken by Laura Hildebrand, I think. Unbroken was another really interesting uh, read. Um, about some people who were fighter pilots and they crashed in the ocean and got captured by the Japanese and went through some torture. And that experience as well. It's very human. It's very raw. Um, and it's very motivational. Uh, you know, it's why I appreciated it because sometimes you read them and they're just 
heavy the whole time. Mm-hmm. There's heaviness for sure. But we had had an incredible discussion around that as well. The other one that it reminded me of was um, Between Shades of Grey by yes. Ruta Septus. Oh, yes. That was that one was a very unique perspective as well. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember where they so were. They were in Siberia, they got like, I believe. They got so like they, taken out. Into Russia. Yes, yes, yes. So they were Jews that were taken to like. It wasn't. Yeah. And it wasn't just Jews. But yes. So they yeah. were. The, okay. They were sent to a camp. They were sent to a camp. But it was. It. No, I think that they were Jews from Siberia or from Russia or something. Something happened. No, they got put on the cars and they spent days yes. heading out there to do work. to just do work. It was just another camp, but it was in like Warsaw or something. No, that was Poland. Yeah. So you're right. I think it was further on Let the me fringes. Look. The Between Shades of Grey. Not to be confused <laughs> with because these books came out literally within a couple months of each other. Like Fifty Shades of Grey and Between Shades of Grey. Very different books. Um, but this one was an incredible book club book because we actually recreated a few of the experiences. We we taped out on my floor um, the exact measurements of the train cars that the people were transported on. And we had and how many people were supposed to fit in that train car. And we had every single person in my book club stand up and try to fit into it. We were hanging on to each other like we couldn't even stand up straight. We had mm-hmm. to like hold on and we were still too short mm-hmm. for what they were packing in to these train cars. Yeah. And it just like the realization really hit home, you know, for a lot of people, as well as like the food that they were given. We brought some of that out and we're like, this is all you would get. Yeah. Basically. That kind of reminds me like when we did um, when we did the Nightingale one, we yeah. talked about um, you talked about the tree. And in the book, there's a tree where um, she puts a ribbon on the tree for every person that she is kind of saying a prayer for that is no longer in her life because they they're in a concentration camp or they were killed by soldiers yeah. or and so we were able to put ribbons on a tree kind of representing the people we care about and so what's really cool about some of these book club books is that there is the opportunity to create like an activity around like an experience it, an experience yeah. that helps you immerse yourself in the book more and i think connect with book club members more yeah, yeah. so I mean, shock. I love to create an experience and you curate, curate it. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of how my book club started is I wanted to curate these book experiences because that's how I experienced them. And I was baffled that not everyone else experienced books the same way. I was like, don't you understand how it brings this and this to life? You know, and so uh, that was kind of my starting point uh, before Litjoy. And it all makes sense now. But yeah, we were, we were right. She um, she's from Lithuania. Yes, thank and you. she does end up being put in a work camp in Siberia. Perfect. So yeah, together we we figured it together. out. <laughs> I know. Okay, so should we pivot to a more lighthearted one? Yes, I feel like yes. So Ready Player One by Ernest Cline. Oh man, this is just like this is like a nerd's dream. Yes. This is eighties nerd crack for anyone who loves gaming. Eighties who's yes. just into like like almost like a matrix kind of feel pop culture pop culture it was so fun this is like such a fun book yes. it's just i mean it is a standalone i'm like it should have been a standalone <laughs> i am a i'm confident earnest there is rudder player listen, too which is i don't we don't talk about it yeah it it's okay i'm <laughs> like th- let's focus on the great <laughs> so the main book, and then we don't need to talk about the rest of it. Yes. Yeah, so essentially, it's in the year 2044. It is science fiction, YA, fantasy, dystopian. I feel like 
Steven Spielberg did like a fantastic job with the movie. The movie's a little bit more like punchy and intense yeah. in the book. Both are delightful. Yeah. So essentially, the world is just going to crap because mm-hmm. of global warming and poverty. And there's really AI. Yeah. There's governments, but kind of not. And there's this this computer game that's like this virtual reality that everybody actually lives their lives in because they don't yeah. want to be a part of the real world. And it's all 80s themed. Yes. So it's like Pac-Man and all of your favorite 80s, like the Shining 80s movies, like 80s clothes are really in. Back to the Future is like the ultimate. Yeah. So the game, if I remember right, it's called The Oasis. Yes. So Wade's the main character. You know, he's like this single kid, basically. And they are living in what's called, I think, The Stacks. Which is like trailer. They're trailers stacked, parked, stacked like high. Yes. It's crazy. I'm like, how are they all? Okay, but so they go up with these trailer parks and basically everyone's, like you mentioned, life's kind of in the gutter. Like, yeah, it's gray. The world's not great. And so everyone lives in the oasis anytime they have time. Yes. And they put on their virtual like reality, like goggle type things and they can buy accessories. So it feels even more real. Yeah, like a like a treadmill thing they can yeah. run so on. So they can like run yeah. and they can upgrade all their system. And so everyone's earning money so they can just fully be immersed in this oasis and mm-hmm. in the oasis there is a challenge right yes and the challenge is like can you find it's like these is it three like easter eggs yeah they're key so it's very key. much set up like a they're they're eggs easter eggs yeah, yeah. They, but they're set up very much like a video game so yeah. there's like different challenges so the oasis is like limitless universe essentially and they have to find the keys and it's been years mm-hmm. since the creator died yeah. and so no one's found him. And then all of a sudden the first key is found and it has some hints mm. as to like where to find the next keys. And so there's- I'm trying the, to remember what the reward, like do they state what the reward they, is? Uh, they are given the Oasis, like the ownership uh, of it. Which, I just can't remember if that was a yeah, spoiler or not, but I was which like- Which is like worth, you know, trillions. Yeah. So yeah. I don't actually know the number, but anyways, it it's like, it feels very much like found family, but yeah. super nerdy video game. And like the book club- does it like writes this? I'm like, you could do 80s food. I'm like, yeah, like Twinkies and like, you know, and then like 80s clothes, like the experience it was is so just fun. there. When we did this for a book club, um, the gal who ran it, her husband has always been into video games. So she brought all of his old consoles. It was really fun because like all the old consoles, all the old games just kind of like laid out and things like that. And we got to kind of all go down memory lane because we lived through the 80s. And yeah. so, you know, it was, we're that old. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, we've been pretty honest about that. Yeah. And yeah, so we just got to walk through that whole fun 80s memory as well as just talk about the book, which was a pure delight. It was just fun. I love a good standalone read mm-hmm. that is it's a beach read, but not in that sense of just like uh, read it and forget about it. It's a beach read in that it is just always fun read no matter what mm-hmm. time of year. Uh, but it stuck with me because we had so much fun uh, to talk so many fun things to talk about yep. with this one it was a joyful read yeah so lines I'm all, it up a bit from our list yeah i was gonna say from world war ii to that yeah and then we're gonna take a hard left oh, into no. station 11 <laughs> <laughs> we wanted to interrupt this podcast to tell you about a very important event that is happening at literallycrate.com oh my gosh tell us i know on on february 21st lunicorns will get early access to the vampire academy collector's edition box set so this box set is gorgeous it has features we've never done before which we always try and do something a little special but this one is 
pretty epic. Um, it drops on February 21st to Lunacorns, and mm-hmm. it opens to the public on the 22nd. And if you're like, Alex, what's a Lunacorn? I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> a Lunacorn is our nickname for our membership group. Our membership group is a group of readers just like you, but they come back to Lit Joy and get extra perks. So they have early access. There's Lunicorn exclusive items. Mm-hmm. There's extra Lunicorn discounts. And we have a, a Facebook membership group where we do lives and we reveal product ahead of time, where we ask a bunch of questions or feedback on what product we want or they want us to do. So it's kind of just like this really cool book club, nerdy book club yeah. that we have at LitJoy. So make sure to check out our Lunicorns membership. It's titled Membership at the top of our website. And if you're just here for Vampire Academy, it opens to the public on the 22nd. So oh, so excited for that. Yes, me too. This book, of all books I have ever read, I have never let a book ingrain its anxiety into my brain like this book. Yeah. But it is like one I recommend to everyone. Yeah. If I remember right, this is, was on my top 10 list for yes. a book of our very first episode of like most influential books. Yes. It is one of it is one of my favorite books, but it's not like my favorite book of all time. But it's because of the impression it left. Yes, that I recommend this one a lot for sure. So it's firmly in the world of dystopian post apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. A virus. Okay, first of all, Emily St. John Mandel, who wrote it, she then wrote a book about how odd it was to be an author who wrote a pandemic book during a pandemic, and then a pandemic oh, yeah. happened right after. So it was like very meta. That was Sea of Tranquility, yes. which is actually a giant dried up sea on the moon. I'm all thoughts and about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, but I we digress. <laughs> I digress. Anyway, so um, uh, in Station Eleven, this is written before COVID happened. Yes, but there is a pandemic that breaks out, and this book has multiple timelines as well as multiple main characters. So mm-hmm. I think there's like four main characters and four timelines that are all happening, weaving together over the course of about 30 years. Yeah. And basically, 99% of humans die. Yeah. It becomes zombie. Um, do they make it for a little while? And then they're like, out. It's a combo, yeah. Yeah. I think they're still out there. Like, they still find them sometimes. But they would like almost turn into a little zombie and then die. die. Yeah. And it's... Like the virus is super aggressive, mm-hmm. um, but it, I think it it had a resurgence during COVID because so many people were like, oh my gosh, is this what's going to happen? And it was fascinating because there's moments in the book that you like have to talk about with somebody. Yeah. And oh, that's yeah. why it's so good for book club. I'm yeah. Like, would you, what one of the, was one of those moments for you that you're like, I have to talk about this with someone? It, well, first of all, our book club, again, was beautifully curated for this was because it was we were outside around yes. a campfire yes. at someone's house you know they had like this beautiful fire pit and we're just like hanging out outside in the dark with the fire which is very reminiscent of the book as well yes so we we're like just totally immersed in it and we all brought something do you remember that we had to bring something that was like a memory or yes. something um that we would never want to forget or something mm-hmm. like that i'm trying to remember no i think it was like Yes. Okay. So I can't remember the exact details of it, but I remember us all having like an item associated with like the end of the world because in in the books, there is one of the characters. I mean, you can't really take much with you. A lot of people are yeah. nomadic kind yeah. of in like these 
like traveling little pods, pods, troops, like mm-hmm. a theater troupe, you know. But one of the main characters, she had like this comic book with her that mm-hmm. had no utilitary purpose, but it was so fascinating because even in facing the end of the world, people are nostalgic. Yeah. And people are like still care about beautiful things. Yeah. Like even when the world is ending, beauty still has they do push meaning. like art and beauty yeah. and sharing those things. It did remind me like it has like the essence of the giver in it. Yeah. To me of wanting to hold on and remember certain things about society yeah. and what do you want to continue uh to share as yeah. you are going about this world that has 1% of the population left. And so uh they talk a lot about sharing like theater and arts and beauty. Uh, which kind of did remind me to give her as well, just those memories. And so I think we all brought something that we talked about, like if you could only take one thing with you, like what would it be? Yeah. Um, and then I remember the airport scene, which yes. is. You mean the airplane? Yes. So. Yes. It's like, there is a specific scene in the book. When you get to it, you'll know mm-hmm. what we're talking about. Let's just say it's a plane that lands that the doors never open. Yeah. Which is. It was dun, fat. Dun, I, st- I still think about it every time I'm yeah. I think about this book. I'll tell you times I think about it. I think about this book <laughs> when I'm sitting in traffic. Yes. I think about this book when I'm uh, boarding an airplane. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about this book whenever there's a power outage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like there's just mm-hmm. no also way to travel. Anytime I hear about like someone claiming to be a messiah. I think about this book too. That's right. Like whenever there's like news around cults, I'm always like, oh my gosh. It's happening. I know. And it, the way that it was written, it felt so, again, tangibly realistic. When, yes. So that's why it creeped us out so much because we, it, it felt like this could literally happen tomorrow. And then like a couple of years later, COVID hit and we're like, oh no, oh my gosh. Yeah. Like it, we were worried this book was prophetic almost in how yes. much crossover there was in some way. I mean, luckily the zombie part didn't happen, but. Yeah, you never know. Knock on wood. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, yeah. There is, there is things about this book that I found really beautiful, mm. and things that were very terrifying. So I think the beauty I found in it was that, like, while they hadn't figured out electricity at scale, mm-hmm. like, or even at all, like electricity went out because electricians all died. Yeah. Like something as simple as that, like plumbing, isn't yeah. a thing anymore. You know, while those things went away, what was so interesting is they they had this innate human desire to remember, yeah, uh, to m- mark history. Like yeah. they collected, for example, there's a group of people who the pandemic hit when they were quarantined at an airport, and then that just became their home for the next twenty years. Yeah, with strangers, you, they they could they didn't know if their families lived. They couldn't get to them because they were all from other, other places, places in the world, and um. And they had a museum, a museum that was iPhones and artifacts, electronics from 20 years ago, because it's 20 years in the future after the pandemic. And they just sometimes would come and look at them. And like kids who are born post, Mm. you know, post pandemic, they are looking at this ancient technology of 20 years ago. Like there's no understanding of it. And so it's so interesting, these human behaviors of like, what would humans do if you're one of the last ones? Mm -hmm. Like what, there's a traveling theater troupe because they care about, they care about art continuing. Yeah. Which is fascinating. I'm like, you don't have electricity. (laughs) I'm like, and you remember what it was like, but that still feels like it's the most important thing you can do. 
and it's probably why I have such a soft spot for the book because it's a story about continuing, I feel like, to share stories too. Yes. And share those memories and the meaning and the art. And and then on the flip side, obviously you're getting these horrors and the fear. Yeah. But that's why you've got the different timelines. You get different timelines of different people. And so it, all together, it kind of creates the picture. But it's not mm-hmm. until they're finished with the book that you kind of put all the pieces together. Yeah. And then you're like, I don't know how to feel. I feel like that was hauntingly beautiful. Yeah, that's a perfect way to describe it. So, I'm like, let's end on that note. That and was- we, like I said, most of us in that, in book club still talk about how this like lives with us. Yeah. It was very impactful for the whole group, not just you and I. And I think it lives with us in a good way. Like, I'm like, yeah, even though way. it sounds kind of like dark and scary, I'm like, I I think it is a good yeah. expose on oh, yeah. humanity. So do it around a campfire, guys. Yeah. Also, we did we did like cans, but like really yummy baked beans in them. So we like cleaned out cans oh, yeah. and then like used them as dishware. It was fun. It was, it was like really we had some fun, fun times. <laughs> and then I sent everyone home with like a s'mores kit. And that was just yeah. for funsies. <laughs> like, and that, was funsies. that did not happen in the book. <laughs> no s'mores. Actually, no marshmallows anymore. <laughs> Nope. Nope. I'm so sad. <laughs> okay. Um, moving on to a haunting magical realism oh. slash psychological thriller slash gothic fiction. Um, very fairy tale vibes. We've talked about this a little bit before, but 13th Tale by Diane Setterfield. Yes. This was a great one. This great was fun. It's an older, it's older-ish. Like it's been yeah. out for a while. Um, but I'm like, for us, it feels like a classic. Yes. I'm all, everyone should read this one. Yes. And um, I think that it gets, so some, I was reading Goodreads this morning, kind of looking into this again. And for me, it was like a five, but yeah. it's interesting because it does get mixed reviews. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's because it kind of leaves you unsatisfied at the end. I love a standalone with a ambiguous ending to it i think there's something really beautiful and poetic about it so i was like that was amazing yeah like i love that leaves you guessing for example like in the giver you never know if the person who dies or the person the end dies or lives it's unclear what the ending means and this is similar it's not about life Mm -hmm. or death but this is similar that there's a plot point that it could go either way and it's like you get to pick what you think it was gotcha and so i'm like i'll read this i love this one sentence that okay so Vita Winter is the she is a woman who is famous because of her 12 outlandish life tales. So she's like an author mm. and she in the book she's an old woman and she has kind of teased the public that there's actually none of them are her real life story. Uh-huh. They're just very interesting and outlandish, mm-hmm. but her real life story is the 13th tale and she's like I'm never going to tell it. And then as she's dying, she hires a biographer, Margaret Lee, to come and get mm. her story. And 13th Tale is her real life story. It's so well, dun, dun, dun. macabre. <laughs> it's so creepy cool. It's right. It's like all coming back to me. We read this one a while ago. Yes. So I'm like, thank you for the reminder. Tell me more. Yes. Um, it, it is a, a, it has like that gothic suspense feel that I love mm-hmm. where it's not scary, uh, but it's haunting. But it's almost like, I'm like, the visualization for me is almost like when you take a step and the floor creaks, but that's kind of what the story feels like when you're reading. Mm-hmm. It's like the little bit of a creaky floor kind of feel, but the windows are open and it's bright outside, but you're still like, wait, yeah. something's off. It's haunting. Well, <laughs> I'm like, okay, so the Anglefield family is the the main family in the book that um, 
in the 13th tale of her life, of Vida's life. And there's this beautiful sister named Isabel, and she has a brother, Charlie. And uh, Isabel gives birth to feral twins, Adeline and Emmeline. Um, and so there is, I will say trigger warning, there's like inc- incest and sadism mm. in this book, oh, yeah. which is why it's creepy. Uh, like, yeah. um, And it takes place, It's it, it does feel like historical. Yeah, yes. It, it's not a modern tale. Like it feels more turn of the century. Mm-hmm. And... I love psychology. And so I'm like, oh, yeah. I I'm like, love that these psychological elements are woven through where um, you know, there's there's kind of there's a ghost that's present at the house. And she isn't, you know, like this ghost, I think it's a she, um, it's keeping people safe, mm. but it's unclear if this ghost is real or not. And so the whole time you're like, I don't, something isn't happening. Like something isn't making sense. When you get woven into her reality with the book, you know, you're, the realities all get kind of twisted. And there's also so many parts that it's hard. We can't really talk about it because it's spoilers. I know. And so I'm like, we're giving you a general overview on this one, but we're like, it's because we can't because there's spoilers. It's amazing. But we're like, just read this. It's good. Also, if you love, if like. Obviously, you're listening to this. You probably care about reading a little bit. But if you love oh, like yeah. like haunted libraries and enchanted books about books, books yeah. about yeah, like there's definitely that vibe yes. where it's like for people who love fiction mm-hmm. and love books that are about books, this yes. one has that element in it for sure. Oh, and yeah, this is I feel like a good one that you could read if. I like to put books kind of where I think they fall seasonally or yes. know, there's like a good month. And so I'm like, this one I feel like is perfect October through December. Yes. It could go great if it's a little more haunting in October, but it also has that like a uh, kind of wintry, solitary isolation vibe too. Yeah. So is that a good way to put it? Yes. Uh, it's like, yeah, like I think it takes place in England, yeah. right? Yeah. So like the like cold, wintry yeah. more. There's like a chilliness about it. So. Yes. If you love human psychology, this one is fantastic because there's impossible decisions that these characters have to, well, that a couple of characters have to make. And then everyone else is mentally ill. Yeah. And so, like, how do you navigate, how do you hold on to your reality when everyone else around you is creating false realities? Mm. And so it's so fun to, like, put yourself in this book and talk about it with other people. Yes. Oh, yeah. We had a really good discussion, I remember. Yep. But okay. As, of course, that's why I made the list. So, yes. Captain Obvious happening. So It's okay. It's okay. We're going to move on. <laughs> so, sixth book um, is The Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern, which, again, we've talked mm-hmm. about this a few times because it holds such a, a place in our hearts because it is unique. A book about a circus that has its yes. own life, its own personality. And then there's these two main characters that end up having a bit of a romantic relationship within the book. But what's also interesting is there's uh, like a dueling magician as well. There's like two magicians yes. that are kind of going at it and dueling. Then there's a the love interest. There's this mystical, magical circus and each tent. It almost has its own life and personality as it well. It totally does. And it's magical realism as well as there's mixed timelines. Like there's a lot going on in this book, but in the best way. Yeah, it is very immersive, atmospheric, I think yeah. is what, yes. how Kim described it. It's in the night circus, it, the circus appears out of nowhere, it seems. 
right? In these different, so it's a traveling mm-hmm. circus. And when you're a person living in these little towns throughout France, all of a sudden the circus appears and it only is open at night. Mm-hmm. It's all in shades of black and white. And it's like the Cirque du Rev. The Cirque du Rev. The Cirque du Rev. And it's, um, it's like caramel popcorn and candied apples and like, you know, this like delicious sweet sweets and treats kind of mm-hmm. thing but you'll walk into a tent and it's like snowing and you walk into another tent and it's like you're being transported into this performance these ballet yeah. dancers and you another tent it's like the tent of a you know a seer and like a oracle yeah. and 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 then in the middle of it all is this beautiful clock that is woven into the story of these mm-hmm. dueling magicians and like why is this you know clock that's alive and has a personality it's literally just like a clock but yeah, yeah. i mean it, so the story itself sets you up for such really beautiful like if you want to wear themed colors or costuming delicious foods yeah. that come out of it um i if i remember it's black white with red yeah there's like little elements because we all came with like for book club like with a uh, red scarves and things like yes. that like that little touch of red and mm-hmm. and the stripes and we turned the living room into a circus tent we used to have more time before lit dries before children, <laughs> and uh, children. <laughs> you know so like we try to create the tent feeling and then we all try to bring some of the foods that were mentioned in the book which candied apples and the little chocolate mice and yes it was so fun there's like this wishing tree that is in yeah. the book as well like the the ice tent like there's so many cool things visually to bring to life as a book mm-hmm. club so it was super immersive just reading it and then we also brought it to life and it's to this day one of people's favorite book clubs we've ever done because it was as you mentioned so atmospheric and easy to bring to life in the sense yeah um of the book but yeah and i think i'm like um just the setting of the book itself blended to like a lot of book club discussion. Yeah. But also I think we really loved the, or we talked a lot about the, um, like the idea of doomed love, like mm-hmm. forsaken love. Like fate, fate and love. And yeah. Yes. It was. So, okay. I feel like this book in particular, I should warn people, it's a little divisive and, or, sorry. Um, yeah. Like, it, people like it or they don't. It's because the timeline lyrical. the timeline shifts and timeline shifts a lot and so i was trying to keep track so i knew how old people were and things like that but also there's magical realism and i feel like people will like magical realism or they don't where yeah. you just got to let go and go with the flow when it comes to that and enjoy what's happening into the story and just don't put too much pressure around it and i love magical realism yeah and it was the perfect blend, I felt like. So, and it was a debut. I'm always shocked that Erin Morgenstern, this is her first book, yeah. you know, and then she's done the Starless Sea since, but um, her writing does remind me a little bit of Lainey Taylor. Yeah. Um, which we also love, very lyrical. Yeah. I would say it's, um, and her books feel like they do feel like this meandering experience through magical realism, yeah. as opposed to being like heavily plot driven, because there is plot, but it's also about it's very much about the journey of getting there. Yeah. And I feel like the ending was lovely, but it wasn't, it wasn't what like brought the whole book together. The book was just this beauty. You felt like you were in a circus for the whole yeah. book. So it's just a beautiful experience. Yeah. Reading or Aaron's books, it, it really feels like you're opening a door 
and you walk through and you're just in a completely different landscape, different location, different mm-hmm. dimension even sometimes. And then by the time the book finishes, you walk out and you're on the other side. Like, yeah. It's an experience. Yeah. So that's where I'm like, read it. It's going to be good discussion for sure. I agree. Okay. So the last book, we did want to yeah. save room on this first round for a nonfiction. Yeah. And this one, I feel like is particularly, I feel like everybody should read this book. But when it comes to book club discussion, I feel like it's really great if your book club is an all women's book club um, because it creates this opportunity for conversation mm-hmm. that society doesn't always create for women. And so let's dive into the book. I I agree. I also think that this could be interesting if it was a mixed, you know, like male and female book club. Yeah. You know, I think it could be good, really powerful either way. But it felt really safe to do this discussion with all women. And yeah. we've talked about Come As You Are many times. Mm-hmm. It has been a really impactful book for us and many women that we have talked to who have read it. And when we picked it, we were a little nervous because this book is about sex, but it's not about the act of, it is about Mm -hmm. your perspective, your relationship with sex and sexuality and your approach and your feelings about it. And when we picked it, you know, everyone was kind of like, okay, like we'll give it a go. And then we had like this incredible turnout. It was like 25 people. And we were like, oh, do we have enough room? So that right there said something huge that everyone who read it wanted to talk about it big time. Um, and again, Alex read, um, hosted this one. So yeah, it was a really fun experience. <laughs> I tried to make an experience. So, okay, the full title is Come As You Are, The Surprising New Science That Will Transform Your Sex Life by Emily Nagus- Nagus- Nagowski. Nagowski. She's a PhD. Yes. So, um, Nagowski. Um, I feel like the subtitle is more to sell the book or like get people curious. Yeah. But I didn't really feel like this book was fully about transforming your sex life. It does that. Yeah. But it also teaches you about, it teaches you tools to learn about you and your sex journey. Like, what is my sexuality? How do I own and empower myself sexually? How do I understand my sex drive? How do I understand what it means for me to be a person who does or doesn't want sex? And I, I thought it was just a very important book. Yes. Um, for helping people love themselves and accept themselves. It's just been the most, one of the most influential nonfictions I've ever read. Yeah. So what Emily sets out to do is she teaches us a couple lessons. The first lesson is every woman has her own unique sexuality, like a fingerprint and women vary more than men in our anatomy, our sexual response mechanisms and the way our bodies respond to the sexual world. Yeah. And so she removes so much shame that women have around sex. Yeah. I'm going to step in because what I loved so much about the beginning of the book is she just strips away all the myths around it. She strips away all the the notions that we have and how society has built up sex for women. Because up until very, very recently, and it's obviously still there and persistent, everything about sex, at least for a woman, is based on a man's experience. It's all based around a man. It's all based around what they experience and what yeah. drives pleasure for them. And that's all we knew kind yeah. of a thing, like how 
does it make them feel? Is this make, creating that like porn experience almost, you yeah. know? Is this like what it shows am like I, in the movies? Yeah. Am I arching enough? Is this look like this? Am I having this experience yes. right after? And, you know, it, and so she just kind of was like, this is all bullshit. It really yeah. is. And just breaks it down and shows you the science behind it um, about how many women actually can orgasm in certain ways and why and how there's nothing right or wrong. Everyone's bodies are perfect. Everyone experiences sex that's good for them. And in just to not not to believe all the propaganda that we yeah. are being sh- it's being shoved down our throats. Yeah. As a woman, at least. And I'm sure men too, right? Like they're like, this is apparently how it's supposed to go. Yeah. Like this is how I should perform. This is how it should feel. You know, I just feel like the world gives a lot of obvious male centric indicators of what sex should look like because sex for men can look more obvious. Yeah. And uh, she really breaks down like each of those stereotypes Mm -hmm. and and removes that layer of shame that yeah. comes with them that of like, well, that's not how it is for me. Therefore, I must be broken. That message that women are both the gatekeeper and fundamentally flawed in their sexuality is like cornerstones mm-hmm. of my child, <laughs> like of yep. socialization. It was like, okay, you need to be a temptress in all these ways, but not until the opportune moment. And you need to be desirable, but not too desirable and only at the right times desirable. And then you need to perform. But if you perform to the wrong person or at the wrong time, you are definitely not gatekeeping in the way that you should and not protecting men's morality. You got to be the good girl, but not a slut. Yeah. That was my quick version of what you just said very eloquently. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> like d- you, you got to be sexual, but not slutty. Exactly. You need, and, and I'm just like, there's so many rules. There's so many. It's like the, you know, the Barbie movie that's recently come out, like yeah. the spiel there, like that is how women feel. It, there's no right way. Right. We're going to fail for all the standards that are set up. Like how do yep. we, there's no way to win. Like if you are too sexual, then like you are somehow harming women Mm -hmm. but also if you're not sexual enough and sexually free enough then like are you really even a feminist yeah you know like so like we do it to ourselves too we do it Uh to each other and this book was so fantastic and just like creating a safe container for us to talk about how infuriating it is and and some women were like i always thought i had such a low sex drive and i thought i was broken until i read this book yeah and then some women were like i thought my high sex drive meant I was sexually deviant, that like something was wrong with me, that I had a high sex drive. What an opportunity, right? That we were able to have a discussion with 25, 20 something women about sex. That doesn't happen very often. Um, And again, raised in our conservative religious culture, it is not happening. No. And it was a beautiful idea to do anonymous questions and topics uh, that we at the book club. So nobody put their name on it. And so we just read these anonymous questions and topics and answered them as a group so that everyone kind of felt like, okay, so that's normal or I'm not broken yeah, or somebody else feels like me. Yeah. So every time I talk about it, I get emotional because I was clearly in that category and it was wildly impactful for me. I've read it twice since and recommend it all the time. Um, just because I don't want anyone else to fall into that trap that I did of feeling that way because it's it's mine. And I let so many other influences affect what should have been something that I own yeah, and how I feel about it. And so I'm just like out here to shout the message 
take it back. It's yours and you're perfect. Yeah. So. Yeah, it was a beautiful book. It was good. It was really interesting. It did lend to like a really beautiful discussion and a few things that I did that I, because I really wanted to make sure it was that safe space. Yeah. A couple of things I did with this book club is I decorated humorously. So I took (laughs) pinks, pink, um, uh, streamers, streamers and I kind of made them into the shape of a vagina at the entrance of the of my house so like as you walked in with like a balloon at the top one little bit <laughs> and it said welcome like c-u-m <laughs> above it in balloon letters yeah so I I tried right away to kind of introduce a little bit of humor around the fact mm-hmm. that we're going to talk about sex and I decorated the rest of it with like pink and red heart balloons and yeah. um, so you know just a few things to like kind of create this this humor around mm-hmm. something that could be awkward. And then I love the anonymity of the mm-hmm. questions that people got to submit. So they all got to write down as many questions as they wanted yeah. as discussion topics. So we had a list of discussion topics, but we also, we started with those anonymous questions to mm-hmm. kind of get things going because I think it showed everyone like people were ready and willing to show up yeah, um, for each other. And so I loved that. It was great. And I would highly recommend this one uh, as as a book club, just for, if nothing else, to give that space for people to feel like they can finally talk about these things that roll around in our heads that we don't usually bring up, maybe outside of one best friend. Yeah. So getting that collective perspective was so amazing and so helpful. So do that. And uh, we're going to call this uh, good for uh, this episode for part one. We've already talked 55 minutes. Yeah. Uh, which is great. Up. We've got two more um, episodes that will follow this one up. I'm excited to dig into the next seven. Sweet. Thank you. Thank you, readers. All right, reader. Thank you for listening to the Lit Joy podcast. Make sure to rate and review us. And like a good book, don't forget to recommend us to your friends.